Welcome to the final Southwest Londoners Six Nations podcast. I've got a dream lineup to uh, talk about the final game of this year's tournament. So, alongside me, I have Tom Masters. How's it going? Very well, thanks, Chris. And you? Yeah, mate. It's actually nice for someone to ask how I'm doing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm good. Johnny, how's it going, mate? Hi, mate. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Thomas, what's up? Delighted to be here. I was wondering if you had another kind of minnow of an international team in another sport that I can take on as my own now, but Italy let me down. I'll have a good think. I'll get back to you. Um, Louis, any ideas of who Thomas should support in other niche sports? Uh, I mean, uh, the American baseball season starts in a week, so I'm sure I can pick a crap team for you to follow. It was a big weekend for Scotland and an even bigger weekend for Wales. So, hope you enjoy that. And of course, alongside us, we'll have SP Sapper, not literally here, but he's here somewhere giving us stats on what was a fantastic game. So, hope you enjoy that too. It's a sin. France 23, Scotland 27. What a game, what a performance for Scotland and what a Six Nations win for Wales. So first, let's go to Louis. Let's unpack this game. Obviously, your French boys didn't quite make it in the end. How would you assess this performance from a France perspective? Yeah, I think France will be kind of disappointed with that performance. I think they could have uh, they could have sealed quite a comfortable win against Scotland. It was quite a back and forth game with plenty of mistakes from both teams. I think with a bit more composure, and uh, in particular, if Brice Dulin had been a bit calmer at times, we might have uh, we might have won it kind of uh, not easily, but with a bit more uh, a bit more composure. Uh, Scotland should be really uh, really happy with that win. They really showed some grit that was missing particularly against Ireland and Wales, where they really disappointed. And uh, overall, it was a fun game. So I'm not really too upset that we didn't win. It was going to be hard to win by enough to get the uh, to win the title. So I'm, uh, I'm not too broken up that they blew it in the last minute and, and Scotland scored that winning try, obviously. Yeah, it was always going to be a stretch. I mean, Johnny, you like Scotland. You were worried that the England victory would be a flash in the pan. And this shows that maybe it's not a flash in the pan. Maybe they have got some ability and just need to get a bit of consistency to their game. Yeah, it does and it doesn't, Chris. I think one of the big uh, one of the big disappointments for Scotland in this tournament will be mainly the Wales game, where they failed to get that lead up uh, by a large enough uh, large enough uh, distance to really you know hold on once they got the card. But I do think that really, 
Uh, Gregor Townsend was right to say that it was one of their better tournaments in the last few years. But at the same time, I think there's definitely a lot of things that Scotland will be disappointed about. Obviously, the, the card was, was, a, was a debatable one and one that caused a lot of, of discussion. But at the same time, I definitely think, you know, they would have wanted to get a better result in that Ireland game. And if they had card or no card, they would have improved on last year's position. But despite actually, I think, improving in terms of level of performance this year, they've, uh, they've, they've still ended up in the same spot, which at the end of the day is, is what really matters. France, okay, in the last 10 minutes of this game, France had quite a narrow lead. And I got to say, I enjoyed the last 10 minutes greatly. I thought it was a lot of fun. A lot of stuff happened, a lot of cards, a try, you know, a lot of pressure from Scotland. Talk me through that 10 minutes, Masters, with a bit more uh, rugby knowledge. The Scottish player spoke about it afterwards, uh, and I think a little bit before, that they were quite annoyed that all the focus the whole game was about France and about how much they could win by and whether they could get that 21-point win. And no one had even mentioned the fact that actually Scotland are pretty good and they could come and win as well. So that probably fueled their fire. And I think earlier on in the game, France had perhaps done the classic thing of not realising that to get the 21 points and the bonus point, you need to actually win the game first. And I think they were trying too hard at times. And that meant that, that last 10 minutes, the game was very, very open. And in the end, Scotland just had enough to, to take the try. Uh, Van der Merwe in the corner. And then, of course, the kick goes over as well with Russell sent off. And there was a yellow card to France. So, I mean, yeah, that last 10 minutes had it all. It was probably a perfect dramatic ending to what's been a pretty dramatic Six Nations. Yeah, Thomas, talk me through that late error from Doolan. Yeah, so I know that Louis and I actually disagreed on this a little bit because obviously he's got the ball, you know, 80th minute, looks like he could just he could just kick it out and France have got the win. There's no, ch I understand there's no chance of them getting the 21 point bonus, bonus point win at that point. But I also kind of think, why not go for it? I know that kind of epitomises how how attacking this this France side are that they they are always going to look to attack even if it's past past the 80th minute. But I felt that in the grand scheme of things, some of the reports really going in on Doulan for for that late error were were somewhat harsh in my opinion. I think there's nothing left to lose at that point. Well, cl actually, clearly there was, but um, you know there was a chart there was a chance to make it an even glossier victory, and I can't really. Can't say I really blame them for, for trying that. Louis, you disagree with that? I, I don't completely disagree, but I mean, the whole point of the game is to win. And uh, they sort of, they, you know, they had it wrapped up. And I know, I think he was obviously feeling confident because he was at the at the root of uh, two really good counter-attacks from France. So he's thinking, it's the last minute of the game. We're one man down. Why not see if there's some space? You know, you could tell he was thinking... Oh, maybe there'll be some room somewhere. And also, he's not the one that gives away the penalty to uh, uh, to turn it over. It's Vassar going off his feet at the ruck. So it's not entirely Dunas' fault because he, he carried it in and then they could have just as easily uh, done a ruck and Dupont could have decided then to kick it out and they would have won the game. So uh, he is obviously partly responsible for uh, the loss. But I think Thomas is right in that... Uh, he shouldn't get too much blame. He had a great game regardless of that. Um, we'll do a post-mortem on France, I guess, when we do a post-mortem on the tournament as a whole. But Wales, worthy winners? Uh, huh, huh. I mean, yes, probably in the end. I think they probably 
with France ending up losing two games, they probably were in the end the most consistent team. But I've had a lot of Welsh people, I've seen a lot of Welsh people saying or questioning how uh, people can say that it was lucky when I think they, they were handed luck in pretty much every game. Even in this game, to be fair, the Scottish tries uh, were, were slightly questionable until the last one. So, you know, they, they kind of had luck the whole way. But they're the only team that got four wins. And I think the luck kind of... The Ireland game, they probably would have won anyway. The England game, they ended up winning by 16 points. So you can't really blame the, the two tries at the start on. And then the Scotland game... I don't know how much the red card played or how much the Scottish bottle played in it and how much it was just good, a lot, a great last 20 minutes for Wales. So in the end, yeah, I'll say Wales deserve it, but they, they definitely rode their luck. What do people think of the grief that um, that um, Ellis Genge has been getting recently? For those who don't know, Ellis Genge basically has had people tweet him, including, um, including South Africa's captain, basically saying people need to sort him out um, on account of his... Um, supposed attitude problems personally I think you know he plays very much on the line and you, you could you know go either way in that position yeah plays on the line fair enough I think the, the problem with him is he, he played he had a pretty poor tournament I thought he didn't really play well in any of the games and he still gives it the big ends and comes out I feel like in that situation and you know there's no real right or wrong here but I think the general public would prefer a player who then gets his head down and gets on with it. And then in his first game after the tournament against Newcastle yesterday, he then gets in a scrap before the match has even started with uh, a tight head for Newcastle, who you know is a young player. Um, so I don't know. I can see why he rubs people up the wrong way, especially people like uh, the Beast, Tendai Mutwarira, who is the one who tweeted it, that he needs to be sorted out. Genge then replied with, I'll tell him. So, you know, there's a bit of fun going on there, I guess. But I think I can see both sides of the argument. People will support Genge and there's also people who think he's just some ruffian who doesn't belong in our game. Can't we all just be friends? I feel like rugby is very divided at the moment. It is. More than, more than ever, I feel. Just like the world. Now we're getting onto that. Maybe we should go to the next section. So, so yeah, enjoy whatever jingle this is for the last time. One, two, three. The Sheriff that is Ken Owens. Rock the the Casper. He thinks it's not kosher. Seriously, Ken, I wanted it kosher. Okay, cool. So now, now we went on to like you know macrocosmic politics. We might as well talk about the tournament as a whole. I mean, the first tournament uh, in the Six Nations where the whole tournament was played behind closed doors. So that was strange and took some getting used to. Uh, we got a surprise winner in Wales. We got England having their worst tournament performance in however long. So um, I guess first I'll go, Masters, you're wearing an England top right now. I'm going to ask you, do you think the tournament was a success as a whole? And then give me a brief kind of summary of what you hope for England in the future off the back of this tournament. I think this is probably the perfect tournament for what it was. I think it's behind closed doors. People are bored and they're at home during lockdown, so there are probably more viewers than normal. And of course, it was all on BBC or ITV, so it's free to air. And I think the perfect tournament would probably have been this, maybe England slightly more competitive, so to capture a younger English audience. But I feel uh, a good tournament, usually the most enjoyable ones are the ones where there isn't a Grand Slam. So everyone kind of beats everyone. And that's kind of what we had here. England beat France, which was a bit of a shock at the time. Then that great game in Paris where France beat Wales and Scotland go to Paris and beat France. 
and Ireland were sort of not great in the first couple of games. Then they came and won the next three. So I think it was pretty much the ideal tournament. We saw loads of tribes, or drama, we saw cards. Yeah, I think from a, a casual view, it was pretty much perfect to get into rugby. And then from an English point of view, I mean, I've said some things in the, in the weeks about Jones and certain players, and I believe this week they've had a review, so we don't know yet whether Jones has been told he's going to leave or whether he's been told he's going to stay, and then we don't know if there are going to be like uh, certain players who are not allowed to play anymore or if he's just given free reign to carry on. I guess we'll find out, but this is probably as low as it can get, I think, from an English point of view, so the only way is up. Thomas, as someone who has previously been a football fan, more so than a rugby fan, have you enjoyed watching this tournament behind closed doors? Do you think it's been easier to sell rugby in these kind of conditions, more so than football, maybe? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the spectacle obviously does, it does lose something without the fans. We can't, we can't deny that. I think Tom's absolutely right that the free-to-air thing is, is really important as well. I mean, all the all the games of rugby were so exciting. I don't think anything was really predictable apart from uh, apart from Italy's performance, much as I'd like them to have uh, to have bucked that trend. But I was I noticed in a lot of the a lot of the kind of reports about this tournament, which has obviously been so open, that you know a lot of them were saying it's such a shame that fans weren't there to witness it. But I mean, I discussed this with Louis as well. I I think that the reason games were so open was partly because of the fans not being there. I think the fact that we get so many, so many away wins and, you know, teams like Scotland playing with such abandon at, at Twickenham and in France places they haven't won for ages is directly because of the lack of fans. So I just wonder whether with the, with the fans back, I think we might see a return to the kind of more cagey style. And the, the disciplinary thing is, is interesting as well, because I think there's, there were more, more kind of uh, sendings off at, at of this Six Nations than than previous tournaments, and I just I do wonder if that's something to do with maybe a bit of a bit of trust being lost between the coach and his squad. Maybe whether the whether COVID restrictions allow for a little bit less coaching. Bizarrely, I mean, you might think that because there's no fans in the stands, maybe it's easier for you know coaches to be heard, instructions to be put across. But I do think that possibly the yeah the lack of a lack of a coach being able to truly have a say in in certain things because of the you know because of the schedule because because of not being able to bring in replacements all that easily uh, might have had an effect as well uh, what are these conversations that you and louis are having behind our backs why aren't we involved what's going on here it was one whatsapp conversation but it was it was glorious don't worry chris yeah it sounds like yeah i'm bloody jealous um but you also gave some stats there, so I think it might be time for the last time to go to uh, our Lord and Saviour, SP Sapper, to kind of outline what the tournament was like as a whole stats-wise. So, over to you, Sapper. Salutations from Sapper's Corner. Sapper's Corner. Some amount of factual evidence, reason, and numbers. I love Sapper's Corner. Welcome. 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 Sapper's Corner. Thanks, Chris. So let's just start off by saying what 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 a tournament. Um, Wales won their sixth Six Nations title, and that's the second most wins of any any of the nations in the competition. And only England have more wins than them with seven. And if that result wasn't to your fancy, you could at least appreciate 
the fact that this was the year with the most tries scored ever in any Six Nations tournament, as there were 85 tries scored. And if we move over to who the highest try scorer was, that was actually Scotland's Duhan van der Merwer, who became the first Scotland player to be a Six Nations uh, tournament top scorer. There were also, however, five red cards shown in this tournament, which was as many as the previous 14 Six Nations combined. Um, but if we just move back to talking about Scotland, it's, it's worth pointing out that it was also quite historic that they beat England and France away. And the last time they did that in one year was in 1926. If we move on to another stat, which was the most try assists, we've got to, uh, we've got to really applaud Antoine Dupont for assisting five tries for France. He was the top in that stat. He also scored three tries, uh, the tied third highest. So he really did have a very good tournament. Um, he's a player to keep an eye on. If we look at the most tackles, that's Justin uh, Tipperick who, who tops the list and he had 86 tackles for Wales. In fact, uh, three out of four of the highest tacklers in the Six Nations were Welsh, with Faletau third and Alan Wynne-Jones fourth. Speaking of Faletau, it's worth looking at one last stat, which is carries. Um, Faletau had the third most carries with 66, Hamish Watson had 67, and CJ Stander had the most carries for Ireland with 72. That's back to you, Chris, for the last time, and uh, yeah, thanks for everything. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Seppa. Really enjoyed that. That really, uh, that really made my day. I think France were the most fun team of this tournament. I don't know if that's controversial. I don't know if that's uncontroversial. But I think because of that, it might be worth talking to Louis a little bit about whether you're disappointed after that tournament showing, whether you think that, like, where, where this France team can improve. They still seem to be a bit naive, I feel. I think the, the main thing that people have noticed this tournament about France is they're not very good at managing the game in the most general sense. They don't often control the tempo. Obviously, if they take an opportunity and get into an opponent's 22, they can put the pressure on for a while, and you would say that France is controlling the game in that moment. But over 20, 30 minutes, they don't generally control where the game is going. Their kicking strategy is not always perfect. They often get targeted there, and uh, they fly halves. Jalibert and Entomac are both occasionally uh, tempted into some not crazy decisions but maybe ones that are not quite conservative enough to to keep things steady and I think that will be the main thing they'll work on is being able to control games better because it's not really going to cut it against uh, southern hemisphere sides if you're relying on those awesome moments of brilliance that are the main reason they score tries if you're able to control the game you have much more chance of beating strong sides which I think was highlighted against England who put in their best performance against France where that's what England do best. They control where the game is happening, uh, who's going forward, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I think that's the main thing to work on. We know they can score when, from basically anywhere. They're able to uh, counter-attack and create their own opportunities. And uh, their defence is generally solid. I think Sean Edwards has had a rough tournament. I believe he lost his mother in the middle of it. So I'm not going to I'm not gonna have too much to say about the defence. I trust him to... Uh, Keep, keep everything on track. But I think, yeah, game management is the main thing to work on. We've chatted about the Six Nations almost more than anyone should over the last week. So I'm going to go around and ask for your player of the tournament and the biggest flop of the tournament. And then we're going to talk some British and Irish Lions. So, Johnny Bray, I've sprung this question on you. Do you have anyone off the top of your head? 
Oh, you've thrown it at me as a surprise. I wasn't expecting this at all. Um, okay, player of the tournament. Wow. I mean, it's got to be DuPont. And I, I, that's the best thing about going first is you get to throw in DuPont. Uh, and <laughs> I was like, oh, you can yeah. Have no. him. You can have him. I'm the first person. Of course, I can just say DuPont. Um, yeah, so he's amazing. He's wonderful. He's, he, he, I, I saw one friend of mine say he'd look fantastic in drag. Um, and, and I, I, oh, have you already said that? Oh, no. Oh, damn it. Well, Morgan's tweet has been, was so good. We've had to bring it up twice. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's just amazing and like realistically. Not really much you can do. Flop of the tournament. Now, I think this has got to go to someone who's English, realistically. Um, and I actually really like Ellis Genge. I'm I'm hashtag Team Genge all the way. But performance-wise, I think he I think he let him. I, I agree. I think he let himself down a bit this tournament. I think he's been much more impactful, particularly when he was coming off the bench in his earlier caps. And I'm starting to wonder, maybe with the way the game's going, whether it would be better just to accept that he is our, our, our substitute prop and he's going to come on and make that massive impact. He's going to carry in the last uh, 20 minutes of the game when he can make that serious um, dent in the opposition defence, uh, as opposed to, you know, starting him and, and often having to rely on him for sort of six, uh, 60, 70 minutes at a time where he, I think, becomes quite tired and, and encapsulates a lot of what is worst about England um, when they play badly, which is that they are quite tiresome and lumbering and slow. And yeah, sorry, Alice. Yeah, I mean, that was some wonderful mic technique there, slamming a hard surface after every three words. Uh, Masters, over to you. Who are you picking? Yeah, um, Wales won the tournament, so I'm going to go for a Welsh player. And uh, you probably won't be surprised that it's going to be Reece Samick because I love him. I think he's amazing and he's everything I want in a rugby player. Um, and it's slightly depressing that he's younger than me, but there we go. Uh, so, yeah, he's my player of the tournament. I thought he brought a lot of that X factor that France have. He brought a lot of that to Wales in what is otherwise a very set back line. So that was that's my reason he's my player of the tournament. And then my flop of the tournament... Uh, kind of want to give it to Eddie Jones but that's boring so I'm going to give it to Ben Youngs who I thought had a very poor tournament apart from against France where he was all right uh so uh yes hopefully he doesn't wear an England shirt again apart from a legends match in 10 years time your approach to Ben Youngs is verging on bullying but yeah I'm gonna say if there was a least shocking moment of the tournament it was you giving that to Ben Youngs <laughs> no, it would have been daily, but he improved in the last two games. So uh, he, he just about avoids that. Also, you are right. It's very disappointing when you find out a top athlete is younger than you. Uh, I found out yesterday that top NBA star Ben Simmons is about two months younger than me. He goes out of Kendall Jenner. He's having a pretty good life. So, yeah. Um, Louis, player and flop. So I've, uh, I already voted for my player of the tournament on the Six Nations website. So if anyone hasn't done that, Go ahead and do it. And I voted for Tyg Byrne for Ireland. I think he's had a superb tournament. Sapper would love him. His, the stats are great. He had the most turnovers and he had tons of tackles. He's just a very classic like Irish grafter, like did a lot of work playing at six and in the second row. And uh, uh, I'm sure we'll mention him later when it comes to the Lions. My flop is, I'm going to be a bit harsh, but I'm going to say Jamie Ritchie. We talked a lot about how that Scotland back row was excellent and they were going to have a huge tournament. And Hamish Watson did. And Ferguson came in and did a really good job. I think he might have sealed that number eight job. But I think Jamie Ritchie was a bit off the pace this year. And hopefully he'll bounce back uh, further on this season. 
I appreciate you've all picked different players. This is good. Now, Thomas, can you make it a clean sweep? I'm going to go slightly against the the spirit of this. But first of all, my player of the tournament, I'm going to go for two golden oldies, Johnny Sexton, Alan Wynne-Jones. I love a veteran. I think they both came into this tournament with a bit of stick hanging over their heads. Uh, Alan Wynne-Jones, obviously, captained Wales to, to the trophy, which is an achievement in itself. But, you know, perhaps not the most exciting, but gave them that solidity they they needed and that experience which I think proved invaluable in a in a tournament like no other and Johnny Sexton likewise you know difficult difficult start of the tournament came back to to mastermind these victories and and proved to be Ireland's most most important player in my opinion flop of the tournament I'm gonna say it Italy the whole team <laughs> the, tournament. Uh, the whole team apart from Monte Ioanni maybe and Stephen Varney and Paolo Garbisi at a push but yeah the whole team is my flop of the tournament because imagine how good one of those wins in Rome would have been and they just couldn't deliver so for me the tournament was lacking that that would have just taken it to the next level that's heartbreaking they've broken you it's only been six, five games even oh, I'm sorry the so, ultimate betrayal that yeah, it really God. is um I've got another eight years to sort it out. No worries, Thomas. <laughs> All right. I'm going to throw the Six Nations into a box that we shall no longer ever open. And uh, after this jingle, I don't know why I'm calling out the jingles now, um, we're going to talk about the Lions. So hope you enjoy that. Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? Mo, mo, mo. Let's get ready. Okay, we thought we'd end the Southwest Londoners Six Nations podcast with a little chat looking to the summer. The Lions Tour, which my friend Eddie once said was the greatest sporting tournament in the world. I think he'd seen it once. Um, okay, so who's going to be on the plane? Who's not going to be on the plane? Is that cliche used in rugby? And um, yeah, who impressed you in this tournament and his in the Lions thinking? So I'm going to go to Louis and Tom first. I know you've put teams uh, together. So who... who... Oh, I put a team together. Come on. I'm not oh, on God, okay. A load of nerds here. So, um, okay, I'm going to go to Tom first. Who do you think has to be in the squad? Has to be in the team, even, the 15. Has to be, I'd say you've got Stuart Hogg. I'd say probably based on this tournament, Hamish Watson. Uh, I think Itoji has to be there just because the potential, if he gets playing well again, then he is the best second row there is. I think Tyke Furlon at Tighthead has to start. And then I think other than that, they're probably fairly subjective. But I wonder if we're all going to agree on on most of these calls uh, the the only other uh, sort of certainties i see are uh, falatau 8 i think is almost a guarantee with billy vinopola not probably not going to play any rugby or any significant rugby before the tour and then uh, based on his six nations performance oh, we can probably debate this one actually but i would have tigburn playing six as well as like a cert as certain lineups yeah i'm the same well, I agree with basically all of the musts we've had so far. I think if what you, the musts you sort of want decided now are that spine of the team. So you want hooker, eight, nine, ten, um, and fullback basically decided at this point, realistically. 
and I think we've got all of those excluding nine. And actually, because of that, I think we're going to have to go with Murray at nine again. I thought he sort of got some form back towards the end of the tournament. I was actually quite impressed with him in that last game. Uh, so, you know, I think we're definitely, I think he's, because of a lack of competition in that position, I think he will probably be the player with the most class and the most experience. He can fill that spot. Um, I think no one's really talked about hooker yet, but I think because no one's, there's been no real standout hooker, uh, Jamie George as the most experienced, as uh, the highest quality, similar to Murray, I think is the type of player who you can put in that and you can be sure is going to do the job. Um, I think Hogg is spot on. I think uh, Watson's spot on. Um, I think I, I, I disagree with Tyburn just because I think Curry's played too well uh, over the last 12 months as a whole to be to be left out of this out of this side. I think he's one of like probably going to be one of the standout players on the Lions tour, in my opinion. So you want to start two sevens in South Africa then? Um, I, yeah, it's yeah, a good call. I do. I do. I think what, I, what honestly, like, like I get where the line-out could be a bit of a minor disaster, which is why I've actually gone with, um, which is why, well, I mean, to be honest, I get where you're coming from with the two sevens. I do. I do understand. I think Curry and Watson are the two best flankers that you can put out in a team. I understand the system is important, but at the same time, I couldn't choose between them. And frankly, I don't rate Ty Burn that highly. So. Also, uh, Jamie George, uh, I just wanted to question that one. I don't know. He's, again, another Saracens player who's, going to be undercooked by the time the tour comes around. In terms of other players, I was looking at Ken Owens in particular has had a very good tournament and is obviously really experienced. And then Luke Cowan-Dickey is going to spend the next few months playing for Exeter in European rugby, you know, at the highest level. I think he's going to be much more sharp than George going into the tour. But other than that, I agree with most of them. Uh, I think we should probably, in the short time we've got, talk about fly half because I think it's the biggest question of this before, before we do, I am going to come back and quickly say, I think Cowan Dickey is a great player, but in like those big stage, big moment games, I I, I don't back, I don't back him at the lineup. I don't back his throwing. I've, I've seen him, I've seen him on too many occasions when, when it's his moment to shine at that lineup, you know, send it wide. And I think um, George is the direct opposite. I think he's so consistent. So, but regarding 10, I think it's Russell all day. Oh, I knew you'd what? say that. It makes me feel sick. I wouldn't that's even a, take Russell that's doesn't a crazy call. Finn Russell doesn't get on the plane for me. I like my he, half. He's been sent off and yellow carded in this tournament. And I know. Coming, you knew this was coming. I've been saying yeah. this. I've been saying this for months. Yeah, my my halfbacks. I think it's really important in the Lions tour because you don't have much time to gel. That you have players who know each other well, and therefore it's Sexton. I think Murray and Sexton. They've been playing together for the best part of a decade now. I think they found a bit of form towards the back end of that Six Nations. And the only problem, I guess, with Sexton is the fact that he gets injured like four times a game. So they have to take three fly halves. Probably, well, I would take Sexton, Bigger and Farrell. But yeah, that's what I'd do at halfback anyway. I'm, I'm going to throw out a bit of a bomb and I don't think anyone will agree. But I, in terms of a gelling, I don't think that's... In my squad, I don't think that's possible. So I've gone for the fly half, who I think has the best IQ and who will be able to spot the holes and manage the game. And that's George Ford. Oh. I think he's the best fly half in this hemisphere and I think he'll do the best job. But, you know, I don't think anyone agrees with me in particular. It's I'm also kind of annoyed that he's going to be playing for Leicester for the next few months, but can't really change that. It's interesting because a lot of professionals have said, um, I've heard a lot of professionals say bigger. 
um, because he's sort of like, well, I forget how I try to remember. I think it may have been Hugo Monia who said that um, he's a test match animal. That's, but I don't, I don't I hate really that phrase. That. I don't, yeah, I don't really see Bigger as a standout. He's star. an excellent goal kicker. I think yeah. that's going to be quite important. And Bigger might be the best goal kicker of the uh, of all the people available. I don't know. I think halfback's quite debatable, which is probably not a good thing. We haven't got a set nine ten combo really. So we'll yeah, see. as an experiment, I I looked at what French players I might throw in, and nine ten twelve thirteen. I put French players, which I think shows where the weaknesses are for this line squad that will have to be decided over the next few months. Um, Thomas, what do you have for lunch? <laughs> I'm actually going to have a tuna, tuna and sweet corn, tuna sweet corn sandwich. Nice, pretty cool. There's no debate on that one. I don't think any. <laughs> not at all. Oh yeah, I've, I do. I've got no further questions. I think we're almost out of time. <laughs> I just kicked back and watched. Yeah, anything, anything else anyone wants to bring up before I? Uh... Oh, um, Van der Merwe or Reece Samet? Reece Samet. I've there. gone Van der Merwe and Anthony Watson. I am I'm, picking, I'm not picking Samet. Well. Yeah, Reece Samet, he's, yeah, he's good, but he's, he's not over Vandermeer. I think Vandermeer's class. He's got a higher points for the games today. They both played nine. A big lump. That's all he is. He's got no rugby brain. I don't want him in my team. Ah, you <laughs> You boring man. Do any of you guys think that the fact that it's going ahead in South Africa has the potential to backfire? Yes. It's, it's mad. <laughs> I think it's probably a ridiculous decision. And it may mean that the Lions tour doesn't happen. Uh, but I can kind of see why they wanted to do it because apparently they didn't really have anything organised here and that they wouldn't be able to do it in time, which I don't necessarily believe. But also the whole point of like, if you take the tour away from South Africa, then they won't get a Lions tour for another 12 years. And it's kind of, but then if no one's going, then it doesn't really contribute to their economy or anything. So I don't know. It's a bit of a weird time to have a Lions tour. But Yeah, I guess the fact is it's going to be weird Either way, isn't it? But I just wonder with what happened with England's one day one day cricket squad, you know, abandoning the series. If something like that happens, surely that's more of a PR disaster than a tour being postponed or being held in in the UK. I don't know. Well, plenty of things to think about. Uh, but not here anymore any longer. That was the Southwest London Six Nations podcast for the last time. And let me tell you, I'm shedding a tear. Very excited for that Lions talk, however. That sounded very controversial and exciting. So thank you, Tom Masters, for the last time. Thanks, Chris. It's been a great ride. It's been a real ride, a real pleasure, a real treat. Thomas, thank you very much. I think I'm crying. Cheers, though. It's been good. Oh, don't cry, mate. Let's go always next year. Louis, cheers, mate. Sorry your French boys didn't quite make it. Cheers. I'll miss you all. I know we're never going to see each other again now, so it's a massive disappointment. Never again. Not if I have anything to do with it. Um, Johnny, cheers, mate. Yeah, guys. Thanks for being class, all of you. Nice yeah. chat. Had a good time. Do you want to sing us out with Goodbye, My Lover, Johnny? Um, no, I, I'll sing the Bear in the Big Blue House uh, for ending. Please hey, do. It's really fun. I hope you liked it too. Oh, come on. Surely someone else knows the next line of the Bear in the Big Blue House song. Da, 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 when suddenly we're through Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye Cause now it's time to go But hey, I say, now that's okay Thanks for the clapping, Thomas I'll see you pretty soon, I know Pretty soon, I know Goodbye, goodbye, good friends oh, Okay, I'm gonna stop now, sorry um, 
Yeah, cheers. Goodbye. Have a